Welcome to Let's Talk Trade, a podcast by the World Trade Organization. I'm Yuri Zabu Yamashita. This first season, we have showcased many stories of resilience, here in the podcast and also at the WTO Public Forum in 2021. Small businesses hit by COVID-19 and which found creative solutions to move forward using trade. We heard how different communities bounce back, whether artisans, teachers, manufacturers, startups. And importantly, these stories offer us a glimpse into the future of trade, of new trends and challenges, of people's thoughts and expectations. And when we talk about the future of trade, there is an element that we cannot forget, and that is youth. The way trade develops going forward will certainly impact the next generation. So how have young business people fared with the pandemic? What's to come for them? This is the topic of our final episode this season. I spoke with someone whose story helps to illustrate that. So let's talk trade. Today, resilient stories. Today's student, tomorrow's entrepreneur. Hobby Training Solutions. My name is Farhia Jama. I am from Kenya. I run a social venture called Hobby Training Solutions. We redesign the Africa's entrepreneurship journey by offering skills training, business support services, publication to existing and upcoming entrepreneurs. Right now, we are eight people. And, and what's the story of Hobie? How did you start uh, the company? I had finished law school and uh, I was always passionate about entrepreneurship. But as a young person, I wasn't getting the right information, the right skill set, the right support from the people around me. So the fact that I struggled in seven businesses before, since I was 18, I thought, can I start something that will help future upcoming youth entrepreneurs like me who wanted to start a business. So I decided uh, after finishing law school, let me create uh, an organization that uh, young entrepreneurs can come and learn all the skills that they need and they can have people to mentor them as they start their businesses. So out of the problems I was facing as a person, as a young person, I, I felt like I needed to do something for people. And how did you go about that? Like, what was it like in, in the beginning? One of the first projects we did was a community project that I was invited while, while I was at law school. We had 12 women and we trained them. And uh, I was doing a pilot to just see how it will work out. So the skills that we were impacting them was to how can they start a small business or if they have already existing business, how can it be sustainable and scalable? That's what we were just doing for this first group and actually they learned a lot of financial literacy skills and entrepreneurship skills and then now after that later on we started developing more skills we realized they need more things later on like legal issues tax so now since i had a legal background which gave me more uh, unfair advantage to help them because now I have entrepreneurship skill and legal skill. So I will tell them this is the law. This is what is required of you. This is how you need to go about it. And it became a successful project, started getting a lot of interviews and that's how Holby started and uh, we became a business. And out of curiosity, how many people have already been trained by Holby? 
we have 2,500 so far. And we're looking for more. And prior to the pandemic, how, how, how were you working in Hobie as a company? What was the business model like? And when it hit, what happened? What happened when COVID hit and we had all these lockdowns? Prior to the pandemic, our way of doing business was having physical workshops, trainings for our clients, and we will go to their preferred location. If it's um, in a community center, we will go to a community center. After the pandemic, we had a whole issue of no contact. We can visit them. We, they can't come to us. So it was a very um, tough situation. And we used to deal with large groups, 30 to 60 people. So our business model was affected completely. Our team was also mentally affected because now we can't do much. So the whole business came to a standstill for a moment. And then we couldn't do the trainings as usual. And the target group that we are looking at, some don't even have these computers. Some do have, but those people are just like 10% of the people that we're looking at. So we had to find a way to get to them without, you know, infringing on the COVID rules. And so that's the challenge we faced. We had to rethink a whole, the whole business. And, and you say you had to rethink the business. What was the result of that process? So it was actually a beautiful journey. Once we couldn't access our clients, we had to find a way we can use the digital space and we can ensure the grassroots projects that we were doing are now being done without us physically going there. So we had to develop digital accelerators and hubs where people will connect in a platform and uh, we will ensure the people who do not have computers can access this information remotely. And uh, we started recording the videos, the content that we used to train people. We faced challenges, but we were not stopped by the challenges. I think we became more creative after that. We ourselves as a team, we weren't even tech savvy. So you can imagine how we had to build and still serve the clients and the team without them having to feel that we haven't prepared for this situation. And so we had to find computers. We had to get brand ambassadors in different countries. When we were building the business model, we knew we were only targeting the Kenyan market. And now I think after COVID, it made us to go out of our comfort zone by um, getting clients from different countries such as Malawi, Nigeria, and Ghana. We had clients reaching out to us from these countries. So the Nigerian clients, we had like 90 people in our WhatsApp group. So the only platform that they were able to access was WhatsApp. So they asked me to train them on WhatsApp. And I felt like this was the most crazy thing that I've ever been asked for. So at first, I was wondering how I can do that. But later on, I found a creative way on how I can train them through WhatsApp. So imagine I have to text them what I was supposed to train them physically. And I had to use pictures and funny ways of, uh, you know, posting the way you chat with a friend. That's how we ended up training the guys in Nigeria. I had to find a way, how can I bring all these people? Yet I have never met them. They have never seen me. They've never seen our team. But yet they believed that we can still help them learn entrepreneurship skills, financial literacy. And so 
it was a very interesting journey. We found ways, we developed new products, we found gadgets that we can use. And I think now we are becoming tech savvy and we are learning new ways of doing things and adapting. So that was one of the things that uh, came out of the COVID. And I feel like it's a blessing. And how do you feel having gone through all of this? It was a roller coaster at first. I think for my personality, I love new challenges. So that roller coaster shaped my character development, the business development. And uh, at, at first, it was scary. Every night, I'd wake up and I feel like, am I ready for this? Am I ready to do this? But then it is something you've never experienced. So it was also a good journey, like you're, you're interested to learn where your business will go, how you will do it. And I think it was really fun at some point and scary as well. So it's a mixed emotion. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, you're a young entrepreneur yourself and a lot of the, the work that you do is to bring skills to young entrepreneurs. What opportunities do you think uh, trade brings for youth? I think trade um, opens the creativity and innovation aspect to the youth. You know, as a young person, you're curious, you're learning, you're also trying to venture out in new things. So when we have these trade opportunities, we're able to discover an aspect of our innovation and creativity. And also, it also creates job opportunities. I feel like um, here in Africa, we've been crying about unemployment. I mean, trade will open opportunities and job opportunities for the families that are affected. It will also be a way to gain income and be able to sustain ourselves. So I think as a young person and the youth in Africa, they feel like the more trade we have, the more business opportunities we have, the more we will be able to explore our niche, our business uh, innovation and creativity. And that's what I think every young person is looking for. There's a lot of skills we need to learn. We need to learn how to be entrepreneurial, how to start a business, how to be financial literate, how to handle trade in the first place. The barriers that exist, yes, there's so many barriers. The laws and regulation do not favor young people. These policies are just out there to support the people who already have financial muscles. As a young person, when you're starting a business, you're starting from scratch, zero. Where is a young person like me supposed to be getting money from to even start the business? That's why even young people are even scared to go out. They have nice ideas. Most of the people I've trained have beautiful innovation, creativity, but the, there's only one question they'll always tell you. We do not have the money to build that dream, that business or that innovation that we have. So I think if the laws were able to remove the tax obligation for startups to, to grow, these legal barriers will really facilitate trade for young people. And also, they also lack coaching and mentorship. That's one of the things I suffered from. I wasn't getting people to just hold my hand and just tell me, you can do this. I think many people thought I was crazy when I was going out, but right now they're seeing the fruits later. So I feel like many young people are facing the same challenge. And, and what in your view would happen if we could empower all these young people, all these young entrepreneurs? 
I think um, if we do that, we will have young people changing the world. They will be bringing new solutions. They will really change the space. We need to just give them more attention, more care, um, give them more skills and more information and how they can grow. And I think they will change the world for the better. And in light of all of these things, all the things you've lived, all the things you've done, what advice do you have for businesses like yours? We should not confine ourselves to, to the things that we think should be. I think we should go out there and just try new things, adapt to situations. Pandemics or challenges will always happen. Things will always happen and not to exactly what we want. But we need to have the grit, that aspect of just going out and um, conquering the situation, adapting. So the challenges are there to shape us, but it's also an opportunity. I always tell my students is every um, challenge you face is a business opportunity. Embrace it. Faria describes how some obstacles can weigh more heavily on younger entrepreneurs. To learn more, I spoke to someone at the WTO who's in direct contact with the voices of civil society. My name is uh, Vonai Miambo. I'm from Zimbabwe. I'm the focal point for NGOs here at the WTO. And I also organize the Public Forum, which is the WTO's largest outreach event. So what really um, struck me about Faria's story, firstly, is that she's young, um, she's dynamic, and she's doing, you know, amazing things. And I like the fact that she's reaching out to people at the grassroots level, you know, people that are illiterate and young people as well, out of her own struggles, because she wasn't able to get the kind of support she needed. And in a world where people think that you have to be educated to be able to make it, I like that Faria is working with these people and giving them an opportunity not only to make a livelihood for themselves, but for their families and for their communities. And I think this would resonate with anybody who wants to make an impact in the world. Another thing actually that also resonated with me about Faria's story is that she's African and, you know, being African myself, it's just good to see somebody so young and makes me extra proud of, of course, somebody that is young and is making a, a difference in people's lives. And she also mentions, you know, besides all this work, but she also talks about all of the obstacles that she faced, you know, like you said, being young and that she had a lot of different uh, enterprises, entrepreneurs. And we see that she showed a lot of creativity. You know, she mentions that, uh, for example, she was using, you know, messaging apps to, to connect to, to students. And I think this is, seems to be very characteristic of young people these days, harnessing technologies and harnessing Uh, you know, different ways of connecting with people. A while ago, we also had this as a topic of the WTO's public forum, which was a youth's role in, uh, in trade. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, what have you heard or what kind of other obstacles does youth face uh, when trying to trade and what creative solutions have they found or interesting things you've seen? So in 2019, as you said, we, we had um, as a theme for the forum Trading Forward adapting to a changing world. And it was clear to us that we couldn't have that kind of theme without looking at what young people think or what they want from the future. I think what we heard was like, Faria, that most of them believe that there are no policies in place that can actually support their business ventures. 
There's no financial support. There's no training. And I think the most um, important thing that I heard them saying over and over again was the fact that they're not heard. They don't believe that they're given the space or the opportunity to be part of the processes, negotiating processes or whatever on any outcomes that they ultimately feel will affect their lives. Another um, thing that I also heard from them is that besides the fact that they're young, a lot of them believe, especially as young ladies, that, you know, it's a much more difficult space to sort of maneuver. So as a result, uh, what was very interesting is some of the solutions they've tried to find, particularly on this um, issue of lack of finance that Faria was also speaking about. You know, they have ideas, but they don't know where to start. They don't know where to get the money. And um, there's been some solutions where they've set up crowdfunding um, to be able to fund some of their solutions. On the issue of um, young women, a lot of them um, have felt like it's difficult to have access to tech, especially, you know, tech education, STEM education. And in that uh, sense, I think there are a lot of different programs, projects that have been put out there. There's one that's called uh, Girls Who Code, and, you know, which is basically a mission to close the gender gap in tech and not only to prepare girls for the workforce, but also to prepare them to lead it, to improve it, and to completely and uh, totally transform it. So you see that, um, you know, while there are a lot of challenges for young people, there are a lot of ways that either other um, organizations or people are trying to put projects in place, or they themselves are trying to find ways that they can, they can address some of these, these issues. I think you hit a very good point here when you mention um, that uh, young people want to be heard. And this is where I think the public forum comes in, right? Because it's one of these platforms that exist for this connection between you know, civil society, between WTO members and, you know, from different backgrounds, different ages. And this year at the public forum, we discussed COVID-19, which was also something of a big shock for, for everyone in the world. Uh, so as we're recording this, we just finished uh, the forum. So I'm a bit curious of what are the things you've heard uh, in relation to that uh, this year and what stood out to you amid the, the discussions we had at the forum this year? Some of what I've heard, I mean, the, the results of COVID and the effects have kind of been mixed. You know, some people have come out of the stronger, some people have not been able to really, you know, um, address some of the challenges. The ITC has actually reported that 60% of uh, micro firms and 57% of small businesses have been negatively affected um, by COVID as compared to 43% of, of larger companies. And obviously the situation is even more difficult in the poorer countries. But um, I think we, as part of the public forum, we actually showcased some um, MISMI's uh, stories um, to try and find out what are the sort of challenges they had, how they were able to build resistance. And I think one of the things that we saw, um, you know, was sort of a common thread in all of them is that those that survived had to adapt. They had to sort of find a new way to navigate, you know, this, this, this new um, environment. And um, we found that digitization of MISMIs was something that has actually accelerated quite exponentially. And um, a lot of the, the small businesses were able to stay in business because either they um, innovated, um, they diversified, and they went digital. And I think uh, Holby is also a good example of that because that's exactly, even though she had an eight-month standstill of not being able to do anything, she had to find, okay, what's the new thing? And they weren't really tech-savvy either, but they had to just adapt and go into that. 
We had um, some stories as well where uh, a lot of companies who were obviously sourcing raw materials from elsewhere had to decide to go local. There was one story that we had of a young businesswoman in Cameroon and uh, what she needed to do, she used to actually import um, her uh, raw materials from Nigeria. She used to import plastic bottles to bottle her shampoos from China. And as a result, she actually ended up having to um, source locally um, in Cameroon. And instead of importing plastic bottles, she ended up making shampoo bars, which was a more sort of sustainable way. So we found that, you know, in these challenges, people have had to adapt, have had to do things differently. I think one of the things that really stuck with me as well that Faria said um, when we asked her, okay, what would you, what advice would you give to other small businesses who are struggling as a result of COVID? Um, and she says, your setback is your setup for, for your comeback. And um, a lot of companies, I think small companies, though they found this whole situation, the COVID situation to be quite a difficult one um, to be challenging. I know even Faria said, you know, sometimes, you know, I was like completely scared, not knowing what would happen. Looking back in hindsight, they actually realized that it pushed them to do things differently, to do things better. So, you know, resilience is really that. It's about adapting. It's about learning. It's being about being an, um, an innovative and just doing things better. And I think this is something that we've heard throughout the forum. Having said that, of course, some have not been able to, you know, sort of had the opportunity to adapt. And we know, especially with digitization and e-commerce, COVID has made e-commerce so much more important, digital trade more important, but at the same time, it's also highlighted the sort of digital divide. And the challenge really is not to, to help those that are sort of left behind, you know, to be able to catch up as well and be part of um, this innovation and adapting so that everybody can sort of um, come along and, 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 you know, build resilience and do better. And having said that, how can we empower more people like Faria, you know, and help them build resilience? Firstly, it's just giving them a space to be heard, giving them a space to contribute to um, the decisions that are made that ultimately are going to affect their life. I mean, a lot of these young people are the people that are going to be running things in the future. The thing that was very interesting when we were talking about in 2019, when we did this public forum with young people, young people know exactly what they want. They're very, very clear about that. And I remember we asked them this question, what do you want to see from trade? And they were very clear. They were like, we want trade that puts sustainability before profits. We want trade that addresses inequality, that is inclusive, not only when it comes to women, but also for young people. So these are people that know what they want. Whether we come alongside them or not, they're still going to do what they're doing. And I've noticed also with young people, they do things that have a bigger impact. It's not just about, okay, I'm starting my business and I want to make something for myself. They always think about what will the social impact be? You know, what will the environmental impact be? So I think it bodes for all of us just to come alongside of them and to be part of this story of, of making things better, you know, making an impact. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to Faria Jama for sharing her story and to Vonai Muyambo for talking to us. To learn more about other stories of resilience, visit the WTO's 2021 Public Forum page. Subscribe to our podcast in your favorite platform and help spread the word. Also check out our Let's Talk Trade video series in the WTO website and social media platforms. 
I also want to thank the team who made this first season possible. Janaina Borges, Oksana Paraskiv, and the WTO's Public Forum team. Also a big thank you to all of our guests and WTO colleagues who shared their expertise. We now take a break, but stay tuned for more. Until next time.